Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 35. The Enemy at Home. When something called the Thirty Years' Peace is declared, there are a couple of things that you expect from it. You expect it to be a period of peace, and you expect it to last thirty years. Sadly, neither of these things was true for the Thirty Years' Peace between Athens and Sparta. The Thirty Years' Peace was established in 446 BC, but it was severely tested from the start. It was first really put in jeopardy in 440 BC, when Athens' ally Samos rebelled from its alliance with the Athenians. The rebels quickly secured the support of a Persian satrap, and Pericles was worried. He would have been even more worried if he'd known what the Spartans were up to. The Spartans, who never liked to give up the chance of a nice military victory, called a congress of their allies to discuss the possibility of war with Athens. Sparta's powerful ally, Corinth, was against the war though, and the congress voted not to fight with Athens. The Athenians smashed the revolt of Samos, and the uneasy peace held. Just. A few years later, things began to boil up again, and this time the Corinthians would be part of the cause of the problem, not the ones speaking out against war. Corinth was having a bit of trouble with the rebellion. They suffered a defeat at the hands of their colony of Corcyra, a sea power that was not in the leagues of either Athens or Sparta. Corinth, not happy at being defeated by one of its own colonies, built up a fleet with the help of its allies. This panicked Corcyra, which immediately looked for an ally of its own. Now, which ancient Greek city-state would you go to if you wanted an ally with a powerful navy? Yep, Athens, of course. Pericles agreed to the alliance and his fleet helped the Corcyrans at the Battle of Sibota, in which a Corinthian fleet failed to capture Corcyra. Following this, Athens instructed Plotidae, an ally of Athens but a colony of Corinth, to tear down its walls, send hostages to Athens, dismiss the Corinthian magistrates from office, and refuse the magistrates that the city would send in the future. Plotidae was rebelling, and the Athenians, as we know, were pretty hard on those who rebelled. Their actions were outrageous to the Corinthians, who told Potidae they would ally with them, should they continue to have any trouble with Athens. Meanwhile, the Corinthians were unofficially sneaking troops into the besieged city to help defend it. This was a direct violation of the Thirty Years' Peace. The Athenians made it worse, though. They issued a decree in 432 BC, banning citizens of Megara, a city close to Athens but allied with Sparta, from trading in the great city. This ticked off the Megarans and the Spartans something rotten. At the request of Corinth, the Spartans summoned members of the Peloponnesian League to Sparta in 432 BC in order to whinge about the Athenians. Some Athenians turned up uninvited and spoke up in defence of Athens, but they were argued with by the Corinthians. The Athenians reminded the Spartans of Athens' great naval successes in defeating the Persians and warned the Spartans not to take them on in battle. They also offered to allow somebody from outside Athens or Sparta to hold talks with both sides and resolve the issues. Pericles was a clever man, and this was a clever argument. King Archidamus of Sparta was both a personal friend of Pericles and a man who knew something about war. He spoke up, agreeing with the Athenians about resolving the problems and not going to war now. Archidamus said a very important thing. He said the war should be delayed until the problems could be fixed, or until the Spartans had built up their military. Sparta, he said, was not strong enough to win a war quickly. Famously, 
he stood before the Spartan assembly and said, If you go to war now, you will leave this war to your sons. The Corinthians, furious with this decision, turned on their Spartan allies and accused the Spartans of not helping them in their fight with Athens. One of the Spartan ephors spoke up in support of the Corinthians. The Spartan assembly would have to decide what to do next. Which way would the Spartans turn? Would they side with Athens and keep the peace, or would they side with the Corinthians and declare war? The ephor turned to the assembly and put the matter to a vote. Deep down, they were Spartans, and they liked to fight, so of course they sided with Corinth. It was announced the Athenians had broken the 30-year peace, and Sparta, therefore, declared war on them. It was a terrible decision. The years of war would weaken both Athens and Sparta so much they never really recovered their full strength. In the end, it would lead to neither of them being the leading power in the Greek world. For the Greek cities of Asia Minor, the outcome was even worse. After years of freedom, they would end up, once again, as Persian satraps. This was still a long way away in 432 BC, though. We know a lot about the Peloponnesian War, because for the first time, somebody who was there wrote about it. The historian Thucydides lived through the whole war and recorded the events as they happened. He says the Spartans had grown slowly more jealous of the power that Athens acquired during its golden age and decided they needed to teach these Athenians a thing or two, so they found a good excuse to start the war, which they were planning to have anyway. Thucydides was an Athenian, so we may think he'd write his history from the point of view of Athens. Surprisingly, though, he was very fair, and most people today think his account is a good one, and that he was one of the greatest historians of all time. An interesting thing about the Peloponnesian War is that some call it the first ever world war. Even though it was really a war between one load of Greeks and another, quite a few other empires got involved. The Persians, people from Sicily and Macedonia, and others, had important parts to play. The war, like other world wars, changed things forever. The Greek world would never be the same again. The Spartans prepared to attack, and the Athenians prepared to be attacked. It was going to be an unusual war, because the Spartans and their allies were very powerful on land, but the Athenians were very powerful on sea. How was a war between the greatest army in the known world and the greatest na navy in the known world going to work out? Although the decision to go to war was made sometime in July 432 BC, it took nine months for the war actually to start. King Archidamus had not been keen on the war at all, but the Spartans had voted for it, and he didn't have a choice. Being a good Spartan, he put his own feelings to one side and planned his strategy. He didn't want simply to send an army to attack the walls of Athens, as he would lose a lot of men besieging the city. Also, the Athenian navy was so strong, it would always be able to get food and supplies into Athens. A siege was not going to work. So, Archidamus came up with a clever plan. He sent troops across the Isthmus of Corinth and invaded the land outside Athens without attacking Athens itself. The Spartans and their allies ripped up farms, destroying food production. They killed farmers and took their families into slavery. They burnt down the farms. Pretty soon, there was not much land in Attica being farmed, and the amount of food getting to Athens dropped away. The Spartans, being Spartans, thought this would enrage the Athenians so much they'd pour out of the city and attack. 
This would be exactly what the Spartans wanted, as their army was pretty much unbeatable in a good old-fashioned battle. Archidamus smiled to himself. He knew that no Spartan would be able to resist attacking if Spartan property was being destroyed. He assumed the Athenians would feel the same way. He was wrong. Archidamus and Pericles were friends, but Archidamus obviously didn't know his chum very well. This is understandable. Archidamus was a Spartan and Pericles was an Athenian. Archidamus was a Dorian and Pericles was an Ionian. Whatever the reason, the two peoples did not think in the same way. Pericles and the Athenians remained behind their walls, being fed by deliveries from the sea. The farmers of Attica retreated behind the walls too. It was clear that Pericles didn't know Archidamus any better than Archidamus knew Pericles. He thought the Spartans would realise they had no hope of taking Athens by attacking its walls, and that their farm destruction policy was not working either. He thought they'd size up the situation and behave rationally. He thought they'd behave like the Athenians would have done. He thought they'd realise they couldn't win, get bored and go home. He thought all he had to do was wait. He was wrong. In the end, the war could probably have been avoided. Either side could have backed down, and probably if they had, the other side would have backed down too. The war didn't have to happen, and if it hadn't happened, the history of the world may have been different. If it hadn't happened, then maybe Athens and Sparta would both have remained very powerful. If it hadn't happened, then maybe Philip II of Macedon would not have conquered most of Greece. If it hadn't happened, then maybe Alexander the Great would never have risen to power. But it did happen, and this is what happened. At least, this is what happened if Thucydides was as good a historian as we all think. The Spartans went home for the winter of 431. After they'd gone home, Pericles gave a rousing speech about how great it was to be an Athenian and how brave the men who had died had been to give their lives for democracy. This is called the Funeral Oration of Pericles and is one of the most famous speeches of ancient times. The Spartans may have gone home in the winter of 431 BC, but they were back again the following year. For four years, they launched themselves into Attica every year and burned the crops and farms. Every year, the Athenians simply barricaded themselves behind their long walls and waited for winter when the Spartans went home again. Unfortunately for for Pericles, his strategy eventually failed. It didn't fail because it was a bad strategy, it failed because of bad luck. In 430, a terrible plague hit Athens, and maybe half the population died. Included among the dead were both of Pericles' sons. Poor Pericles was heartbroken. Within a year, he was also dead. Pericles had ruled Athens, even though it was still a democracy, for 29 years. The morale of the Athenians was at an all-time low. Their great leader was dead. They were rapidly dying of the plague and the Spartans were raiding their lands and destroying all of the crops every summer. The successors of Pericles had different ideas about how the war with Sparta should be fought. Two men came to the fore as leaders in Athens, a politician called Cleon and a general called Demosthenes. Cleon had been an opponent of Pericles and he wasn't interested in sitting behind the walls and waiting for the Spartans to get bored of raiding Attica. Okay, so the Spartans could never win the war if the Athenians stayed behind their walls. Unfortunately, in Cleon's opinion, the Athenians couldn't win either. And Cleon 
wanted to win. Pericles had allowed the Athenian navy to raid the Peloponnesian coast to show the Spartans they were not just going to sit back and wait. Cleon ordered these raids to be increased. He also ordered that the Athenian army start to fortify some posts around the Peloponnese. One of the fortifications was on the tiny island of Sphacteria, near the city of Pylos. In 425 BC, the Athenian fleet then landed near Pylos itself and set up another fort there. This startled and panicked the Spartans. Athens had set up a full fort in their territory. This was bad enough in itself, but what was worse was that the Spartan helots were fleeing to the Athenian fort and giving themselves up to the enemy. The Spartan king, Aegis, had spent the previous 15 days doing the usual crop and farm burning in Attica. When he heard about the fortification near Pylos, though, he turned his army round and marched back across the isthmus. For the first summer in six years, the farms of Attica grew crops. Aegis marked towards Pylos, ordering his allies to come with him. The Spartan fleet headed towards the Athenian fort. Demosthenes put his clever military brain into action. He ordered two of his five ships to go and contact the rest of the Athenian fleet. He had lured the Spartans away from Attica, and he was going to make sure he had enough force to take them on. Demosthenes divided his small army into two parts. He placed most of his men on the narrow strip of land overlooking the sea. The Athenian general himself, with sixty hoplites and a few archers, waited at the point facing out to sea where the Athenian wall was weakest. The Spartan fleet arrived. The Spartans prepared to blockade the entrance to the harbour by placing hoplites on the island of Sphacteria, which is in the middle of the entrance, and planned to place ships in the gaps on either side of that island when the Athenian fleet arrived. That way, they could stop the Athenian boats coming to the aid of their fellows. The Spartans decided they were ready. They launched a massive assault on the Athenian fortifications at Pylos from both land and sea. Demosthenes had done his homework well. The sea attack came exactly where he expected it would. He and his men were ready for it. The Spartans attacked for a whole day, but they were unable to land and take the fort. At the end of the day, the Athenian fleet arrived. It was too late and too dark to attack, so they spent the night on the nearby island. The next morning, the Athenians realised the Spartans had not made a very good job of blockading the harbour. They simply sailed in both entrances and quickly defeated the Spartan fleet. The Athenians captured quite a few of the Spartan ships. Not only that, the Spartan hoplites on Sphacteria were now marooned. All in all, the Battle of Pylos was a disaster for the Spartans and a huge victory for Athens. 120 of the marooned hoplites were elite Spartiates. The Spartans panicked and sent peace envoys. When the peace envoys arrived in Athens, Cleon was in a victory mood and he wanted to press home his advantage. He told the Spartans they couldn't have a peace treaty unless they handed over control of Megara to Athens. The Spartan envoys were horrified. They knew they could never agree to these terms and they knew Cleon knew they knew. The Spartans trudged back to Pylos. Both sides knew the final chapter of the war was about to be played out. Demosthenes smiled to himself when he heard the peace talks had failed. Now he could put into action his plans for the final battle. First, he tried to starve out the Spartans on Sphacteria, but was unable to blockade the island tightly enough. 
He therefore requested reinforcements from Athens to attack the island before the winter's choppy seas made any further blockading too difficult. The reinforcements arrived, commanded by none other than Cleon. The Athenians launched an assault on Pylos. Landing in great force on a weakly defended point, the Athenians swamped the beachfront defences and moved inland. They bombarded the Spartans with missile fire whenever they attempted to come to grip with the Athenian hoplites. The Spartans retreated to the northern end of the island and dug in behind their fortifications, but some troops under one of the Athenian allied commanders managed to sneak round the back of the Spartans. The Spartans knew their position was hopeless and surrendered. 292 hoplites, including the 120 Spartiate elites, were captured. Athens threatened to execute its prisoners if Sparta invaded Attica again. The Spartans stopped invading Attica, and the crops grew once more. Spartan helots continued to desert and flee to Athens. Athens was winning the Peloponnesian War. Over the next four years, though, they were defeated in a few battles. By 421 BC, although they were still on top, the Athenians decided it was time to talk peace. It was better to do this while they were still in a position of strength. The Athenian general Nicias and the Spartan king Pleistonax agreed to return everything to the way it was before the war. The Athenians handed over the Spartan prisoners and agreed to come to Sparta's aid if the helots revolted. Sparta agreed that Athens could continue collecting annual tributes from all the cities which used to pay previously. The Peace of Nicaeus, as it was called, was agreed. Nearly everyone signed it. Only the Corinthians and a few others refused to, but that didn't really matter. Ten years of war were over and nothing had really changed. Loads of lives had been lost for nothing. Both Athens and Sparta were still strong, though. The war had stopped in time, and now both could rebuild, and all of Greece could breathe more easily. Surely they wouldn't be stupid enough to start it up again and put everyone in danger of attack from foreigners. Surely. Would they? Next week we will find out that, yes of course, they probably would. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.